I'm going to read from God's Word this morning, and first from the book of Acts, chapter 2, and verses 42 to 47, these words. This is coming just after the day of Pentecost. They, just, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And then we read from Peter's letter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and the first 10 verses. Peter writes this, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. And, and you also, like living stones, are, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, Say, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect in your word this morning, we ask that you would open it to us, that you would open our minds, our hearts, our souls, and encourage us. Amen. The end of that passage from Acts are those simple words, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's growth, isn't it? Here's my very simple conviction this morning. The church should be a place 
of growth. But how do we get there? And this is the focus on more people. More people for the Sunday school. More people for the BB. More people for the choir. More people for the guild. More people for the church. More people so that the church will keep going. The church will keep standing. The institutions will keep making sense. And we won't need to change anything. How's that for a plan? Does that sound exciting? Get lots of more folk into the organizations as they are, and then we won't need to change anything because we'll have plenty of resources and plenty of people to keep going. I want to suggest to you that that's not what God has in mind. And that's not what Christian growth is about. But that's sometimes what we think it's about. Because actually, if you take that verse on its own, it might seem to be there. But notice it says that the Lord added to their number. It doesn't say they went out and they've had a mission strategy plan to get more members, does it? And actually, what it says they did, if you read the bit before it, is this. They devoted themselves to listening to being taught, to breaking bread and sharing together, to praying together, to giving together, to praising together. You see, the church was a place of growth, but it was actually a place, first and foremost, that the people of God, as they came together, were growing and being changed themselves. It wasn't that they were trying to grow the numbers in order that nothing could change, it was actually here was a place that people grew. God doesn't need bigger numbers. He needs and is creating bigger people. Us. When Peter, years later, wrote this letter and he started the second chapter, and he was writing to Christians that were having a hard time and he was trying to encourage them. He began the second chapter by saying, you're a bunch of babies. Now, I don't know how you feel if I came in this morning and said, you're a, you're a baby. Does that feel encouraging? Or does that feel like an insult? You're immature, you're weak, you're ignorant. That's not very reassuring, is it? We tend to use the expression childish or, or baby-like as, as a bit of an insult. But here's the thing. Whatever else babies are, they are growing machines. You know, if you buy me some clothes anytime, I'll tell you right now the size. XL. You know, it's been XL, I have, to, I have to admit, for a wee while now. Large, just occasionally when I'm flattering myself, it's the right cut. But, but normally, it's extra large. I'm not quite onto extra, extra large or anything large like that. But, but, you know, that's the size it is. And if you buy me the wrong size, the present's no use. It won't fit. I'll have to give it away or sell it or take it back for Marks and Spencer's vouchers. But think about it this way. If you're buying a present for a newborn baby, what size do you buy? Do you ask for the baby's measurements so that you can make sure it fits? 
No, of course you don't, because by the time you actually blooming buy the present and then see the people that you have to give it to in two weeks or three months have passed, the baby will have grown, won't it? And so what happens when you get baby presents is that some of them come in newborn and some of them come in, in, in one to three weeks and what, some of them come in one to three months and some of them come in three to six months and, and some come in under one year. If you've, you've had babies, you've got lots of presents and, and that's what it is, isn't it? Because the one thing that people are doing is they give you presents is they're saying this baby is changing. This baby is growing. That's what the baby's about. It's not about being static. It's one of the reasons why when, 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 when health visitors come to see babies, they measure them, they weigh them. And they don't do that because the baby's supposed to be three pounds and the baby's only two pounds and three pound babies are better than two pound babies or anything like that. Sorry, it's not it's a bit heavier than that, isn't it? Sorry, I'm a man. Forgive me. <laughs> the point though, what the person is looking for is, has it grown since last time? Babies are all different sizes and all different weights. But what's worrying is if it's the same weight as it was three weeks ago. Because the baby is supposed to be changing. It's supposed to be growing. That's what it's all about. And you see, that's what Peter is on about as he says, you should be like babies. He's not saying you should be immature and you should be wee and you should be weak and you should need tiny wee clothes. He's saying you should be people that are hungry to grow. Hungry to grow. And what is a baby if it's not always hungry? Always hungry, always learning, always taking in the world around itself so it can grow. And there's a reason he's using this metaphor because in the first chapter he said twice to them that you've been born again. Chapter th chapter, verse 3 of chapter 1 he said you've been born into a new birth, into a living hope in the resurrection. And then verse 23, you've been born again not of perishable seed but imperishable seed. And what he's saying to them at this point is, something has happened to you when you became a Christian. God's Spirit was given to you that you might be born again, that you might be transformed, that you might be one of His children, that you might be adopted into His family, that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you might be changed by His Spirit. And that's past tense. It's happened. The birth has occurred. If you're a Christian, we sometimes talk about born-again Christians. There is no other type, by the way. If you are a Christian, God's Spirit has transformed you. It's in the past. That's why you have this new inheritance. That's why you have this secure future. That's why you have this father and this family. Because of what God has done, and it's in the past. But you see, that new birth is supposed to bring new growth, transformation. It's interesting that when we talk about folks in belief, we talk about Christians. The Bible only uses the word Christian twice, maybe three times. When it talks about believers, it, it uses a different word. It almost always uses a word like disciple. And the word disciple means student, pupil, learner, and what it's saying is that if you are following Jesus, it's not just a case of you weren't a Christian, now you're a Christian, that's what you are. But it's a process beyond that. You have decided to follow Jesus, and now you are following Jesus, and you're growing like Him. And that was the whole idea of, of, of in, in the ancient world with, with Judaism, is that you found your rabbi, and you followed your rabbi. And it wasn't just that you, like, you went to lectures, and you took notes, and you learned the stuff that he had to taught you. You watched how he lived. 
how he interacted, how he treated people, and you began to mold yourselves on him till you were beginning to be transformed into the mold of your rabbi. And that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to be a learner, to be always learning and growing. Now, the word isn't academic. It's not about, you know, learning a whole of the head stuff. It's about learning a whole way of life. And that's what Peter is talking about here. Watching how Jesus loves, watching how Jesus cares, watching how Jesus speaks, watching how Jesus challenges. And as we are His people, born by what He has done for us in His death and resurrection, so we are being changed to be like Jesus. This is God's plan. This is God's plan for your life, that He would transform you by His Spirit, that you would become more and more like Jesus. And by the way, He's got a lot of work to do. And if you don't think that, look in the mirror, because I know it's true for me. But that's the plan. There is a problem, though, in the way that we've traditionally done church, because here's what we've done. Children have come along, and we've baptized them. That's the start. They're baptized into Jesus, and then we've packed them off to Sunday school to learn stuff. And then they graduated from Sunday school and went to a new communicants class where they learned what it was to be a member and part of the Church of Scotland. And then they joined the church and then they became a member. And that was it. And a member seems a static thing. You're a member, you're on the list. That's you till you die. But that was never the way it was. If there was any schooling, if there was any learning, if there was any growing, if there was any sitting in a small group and trying to figure out with a teacher what it meant to live as a Christian, it was never meant to stop when you were 14 or 16. It was meant to go on for life, and the group was supposed to be the whole of the church that we learned and we grew and we stretched and we prayed and we thought and we broke bread and we puzzled out how we were going to live in the power of Jesus Christ, and become like Him together. That was the way it was always supposed to be. The only time the Bible uses the word member, it's talking about a branch on the vine. It's a dynamic, organic thing that grows, and if it stops, it just dies. That's what we were supposed to be. That's God's plan to transform us till we become more mature. Now, let me be very clear here, because there is a danger here that we start to look around and say, well, 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 I'm not very mature in my faith. You're really mature. You're really mature. And so there's the mature Christians and there's people like me. But that's not what it's about at all. Back to that midwife illustration. The midwife doesn't care that that's a big baby and that's a small baby, does she? She cares that that's a growing baby. Whether it's small just now or big doesn't matter. Is the life in growth. So some of us are sitting here saying, I, I, I don't know very much at all, and I'm not very sure about following Jesus, and I'm getting everything wrong. That's all right. Are you willing for God's Spirit to keep working in you that you are transformed? That every time you see yourself doing the wrong things, that you turn back to Jesus and say, make me different. Keep working on me. That's what it's about. Not to be satisfied to being static. And Peter 
recognizes that as we grow, we eat things. Now, here's the thing. I'm still eating things. It's not always the right things, is it? And, and so in this passage, he, he talks about all the wrong things. But are you eating the right things? The milk, the pure things, the things that make you great. Some of us have always got a snack. It's not always a healthy stuff. I don't know whether marmalade sandwiches are healthy. They're fruit, aren't they? But sometimes we're filling our lives with junk. And we need to strip out some of that. And we need to look to the power of Jesus. But there's a second metaphor in this passage, and that metaphor is a metaphor of a building. It says Jesus is the living stone. Not, notice not a solid stack thing that you just see, that's there and that's great. But a living stone, the cornerstone. And we are being built like living stones. Built together. Resting on each other. What this passage is saying is this, that we can only amount to something, we can only grow as we are growing together. One of the problems with an awful lot of what's happening in our world today is people say, I'm not into organized religion, but I am spiritual. Have you heard folks say that? Here's the problem with it. It it implies that there's a spiritual growth where you are not organized around other people. Now, We're not talking here about institutions and, you know, hierarchies and Kirk sessions. But actually what the Bible says is if you're going to grow, you're going to have to be part of an organic thing where people come together and create something, create communities. It's not going off like some yogi into some spiritual level on your own where you go and meditate on your own thing and you don't touch anybody else and you become a monk. But rather, it's engaging in community together. That's why at the beginning of this passage, it said get rid of malice and slander and all these things because they're things that poison relationships. Rather, living as community that's different and grows together. Peter says, you're being made into a spiritual house. Now, a spiritual house is, of course, a temple. And here's the interesting thing. When the Spirit fell on Pentecost, the believers were in Jerusalem. And we don't know exactly where they were, but they were almost certainly right beside the temple. In fact, it says in the passage we read earlier that they were meeting in the courts of the temple, around the temple area. What was the temple? Well, the temple was the symbol of God's presence among his people. In in, in the old days when the people had wandered around, remember in the Old Testament, they did a tent, and the tent was the place they went to meet with God. And then when they settled in the land, they built a temple, and it was the place where the glory of the Lord symbolically rested among the people. You went to the temple to find God. But here in the day of Pentecost, it says this, God's Spirit doesn't come into a building, God's Spirit comes into a people. As they gather together in that room, God's presence is within a community. A community. Transforming it. Changing it. Making it grow. In order that people might discover the living God. It's interesting that we talk about Pentecost and its fire. Pentecost and its tongues. Pentecost and its wind. But when all 
the big signs have settled, the one thing that's left is the passage we read in Acts is a little fellowship of God's people. And it's still here today. It's still here today. Some of it's Presbyterian, some of it's Anglican, and some of it's Baptist, and some of it's Catholic, some of it's Greek Orthodox, but it's still here today, scattered throughout the world. You, says Peter, are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And the world took note of the church right from the beginning. It's interesting that the Roman writers, as they note the little churches, as they begin to experience them, note that they're weird. Would people write that about the church today? We're weird. They were weird because they didn't go to gladiator fights and they weren't into blood sports. They were weird because they didn't get involved in the Roman wars of conquest. They were weird because they looked after children. They didn't do infanticide and they didn't do abortion. They were weird because they cared about families and families staying together, but they gave women place in the churches and a prominence that they didn't have in society. They were weird because slaves who were at the bottom of the heap were sometimes teaching and, and taking leadership positions. They were weird because they were radical in their caring for the poor. They were weird because they mixed races and classes and people that shouldn't be together. They were weird because the world had seen nothing like it before. So we are a building. You know, the strange thing about describing the church as a building is that the word building can be used in, in, in two ways grammatically. It can be a noun or it can be a verb. When we use the word building as a noun, it's, it's, it's a structure, isn't it? It has walls and a roof and it's made to resist the elements, not to change, to be stalwart. But where we use building as a verb, it's people changing things, a work in progress, creating, constructing, making something that begins in the mud and the trenches and looks like nothing and then begins to emerge and get stronger and stronger and sometimes the biggest of buildings takes centuries to come to their fullness. If we are building together as a congregation, which type are we? Are we the remnants of a structure that was built in 1870 when this building went up, or 1846 when the disruption happened, or 1560, or whenever else it was? Or are we a continuing work in progress? You know, when you buy a house, you want it to be solid, don't you? You look at it carefully. You may not know much, but even before you've got the surveys, you're wandering around and thinking, oh, I like that, and I like that kitchen, and that's got a nice bright window. You're also looking at the ceiling to see if there's any cracks in it. You've done that when you've looked at a house. You've sort of looked behind things and checked that there's not any mold, and then you get the survey. I remember when we got our first house, and we got the surveyor's report, and the surveyor's report was so good, I wrote it down. I'm just going to read one sentence. You're all right. It says this. The building has in the past suffered from movement. However, we noted no evidence of recent or progressive movement, and the likelihood of further significant movement seems remote. 
And I remember when I got that thinking, that's great. It's solid. I can buy that house. But that's a good report for our building now. But if we are talking about an action, if we are talking about the church as the building of God where he's building people, what would it be if we got a report that said, this building has in the past suffered from movement? However, there noted no evidence of recent or progressive movement and the likelihood of further significant movement seems remote. Would that be a good report? What if that was the report on God's building work in your life? That it was solid, but nothing was changing. Well, what happens if you got that for a baby? You know, it seems like it's grown in the past and it's doing quite well in the past, but it's not changing now. You say it's dead. Are we dead? Or is something happening here? Peter says that Christians are God's building. Not a finished item, complete for all time, but a dynamic spiritual work. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What would be the report a surveyor would offer of us? And here is my vision. Not that our numbers would grow. Not that we would get more bums on seats in order that we could keep going as we are. But that we might be the people of God, a place of growth. Growth in me. Growth in you. Growth together as creating a community that begins to show the world a different way of living. A place where we invest more time and more love in each other and we pray that the Holy Spirit may move that we may become more and more like Jesus.